a transitional moment requires us often to to let go of some things, and it's scary. It's really scary. Um, the tra- the trapeze artist has to let go of their trapeze, and they have to be caught by the catcher. They can't try and grab the catcher. It doesn't work like that. They have to they have to be ready to be caught by the catcher. And there's that. Can you imagine that moment when you've let go and you're trying to be caught? And that it, there's so many moments like that in our calling journey and in our faith journey when we have to let go of some things that we thought we knew about God or about how it works. And those are scary moments. And they, they're very unsettling. And sometimes they will... They will, um, in our fear, we won't let go. We'll hold on to, well, this is what I know, so I'm going to hold on to it. But we need to have the courage to let go of that in order to be caught by the next thing that God is doing. Welcome to Listener, a crew podcast platforming leaders from across the organization. As suggested by Staff Carico. Today's episode features a discussion on calling with Carolyn Colbertson. Enjoy the show. Carolyn, sometimes this word calling that we're going to be talking about today, this can be kind of a confusing idea or word. When I've had big, significant feeling decisions to make in life, sometimes Christians will ask me, well, what's God calling you to do? And that's hard to answer because that can mean something different to everyone. You know, how are we, how do we hear from God? How do we discover this call that's out there somewhere for us? So Carolyn, can you tell us how you think about this idea of calling? Mm-hmm. Yes. The c- word calling or the word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, to call. So it can be described as God, our participation in the work of God as creator and redeemer. So it's a big concept. It's not just called to do a particular thing. I think of calling as pretty comprehensive. There's a book by Gordon Smith that has been very helpful to me called Courage and Calling. And he talks about three levels of calling. And he describes the first one as a general calling. That's the calling that's given to each of us to to hear the voice of God and respond, to follow Christ, to obey, to love God and our neighbor. Those basic things that are part of our general calling to belong to God. That's our general calling. And then There's another level, which I think we're talking about more when we talk about this idea, and that is our specific calling. That is the work that God has given us to do, the thing that God's given us to do in the world that participates with what he's doing in the world. And that's something that's specific, that's unique to us, that's reflective of how God has made us. The third level is immediate calling. And those are the things that are the tasks that God has put before us today, the things that we need to do as human beings in the world. They are the things like you have to cook dinner, you need to pay your bills, you need to be a good citizen, 
you need to um, clean up the kitchen. Those are things are also part of calling. And I think it's helpful to consider our specific calling in light of that bigger picture. It's not just by itself. So where does our job fit in? Which is that like your specific calling? The general calling is the big circle and then there's a circle inside it that's specific to you as an individual? Job and vocation are not the same thing. Our vocation is a bigger picture than job. And uh, we have the, in our country, we have the privilege of, of choosing the kind of work that we do often. And that's not the case for most people in the world. Some people, most people just have to work to survive, just work to put food on the table. And there's seasons in our lives that we just have to do whatever it takes to put food on the table, to pay our bills. So vocation is not the same as our job. A vocation is the thing that God has given us that shows up in every part of our life, in every job, in every role, in every season. It's like a golden thread that runs through all those different parts of our life. So, for example, my husband, I think, has he has been a campus director. He, he was the one who named Stint Stint. He worked overseas. He was a problem solver. He was a, he was a country director in Eastern Europe. And then he had a brain tumor. And he went on disability, and now he works for his brother in marine construction. So did he lose his vocation when his job changed? That just can't be. What I think Terry's vocation is, is bringing, uh, is creating environments in which people can thrive. And he did that as a campus director. He did that as a stint director. He did that as a father and a husband, and he does it at work. So his vocation has shown up in every role that he's had and in every job that he's done. But he doesn't lose it if he loses his, his job or his job changes. That's comforting. So is it cultural that I think so much of my calling is wrapped up in my job? Is that an American thing? Or why is it the first thing I think of when I think of calling? Yeah, I think that is partly cultural, and it's partly the way we have understood it in Christian culture. We tend to say, are you called to the ministry? Are you called to crew staff? And you think of it as some particular thing. So I think if if we think of the sense of calling as a bigger picture, then we want to look at where is it that I can best bring what God has given me uh, and use it for his purposes in the world. Where's the best place that my, my gifts and abilities and opportunities intersect with the needs of the world and intersect with what God, God is doing in the world? And that's the question we need to answer. No job completely uh, intersects with your calling. You never are going to get paid for, to do what your calling is. It's just not how it works in this fallen world. But we want to look for a place where our, our paid work, the things that we do have to do every day, overlap as much as possible with the calling that God has given us. Where can I best be a steward of all the things that God has given me? That's what we're looking for. 
So I think I like that my calling isn't tied just to my job, that it's, yeah. it's bigger than that. And it's always, mm-hmm. you're saying it's always something that in some way I'm going to be living out, even if my job maybe isn't a good fit with my calling right now. But what are some ways that you would, in your own life, Carolyn, as you've mm-hmm. been on staff for a while now, what are ways that you've seen your calling manifest itself in and out of your role with crew? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think you really know what your specific calling is until about the middle of life. I think it's somewhere around the age of 40, maybe, for most people, that that begins to become clear. It's very important to pay attention to what stage of life you're in, in your vocational journey. The the early early adulthood is a time for investigation. It's a time to try things. It's a time to gather data about, about yourself and what you can do and what you're good at and what you bring to the world. So that's one of the great things, I think, about coming on staff. It was for me because I did things that I never would otherwise have done. I was forced to. When I, back in the day... When I came on staff, we just did what our directors told us to do. And my director told me the very first week I showed up on campus, there was a free speech platform. This was 1973, and we did that sort of thing back then. And my director told me to go up on that free speech platform and give my testimony. So I did. He said, take the microphone and act like you know what you're doing. So I did. That was really good advice for later in life, as a matter of fact. But I never would have learned some things about myself if I hadn't done those things. So being on staff, I had to try a lot of different things. And that gave me a lot of data about myself and about what I loved, about what was important to me, about what made my heart leap, about what made my heart sad, about what God had put in me to to love and desire and to want to do. So in those early years, really important to do a lot of things, to try a lot of things. And then in during the 30s especially, it's a time to begin to add some skills and some hard work to developing the things that you think God has given you to do. Just because something is your calling and your gifting doesn't mean that you're automatically good at it. So if you like speaking and you get you feel that sense of of joy when you're when you're speaking and teaching, well you need to do some hard work to learn your craft. You need to do some hard work of studying so you have something worthwhile to say and you need to learn how to say it well. So whatever your whatever your uh, your skills are your interest, your heart. You need to develop the skills and abilities and sometimes qualifications to go with that. And then in midlife is when you really begin to focus on those things. You begin to say yes to some things and no to others because you know this is what I think I bring to this situation and I should be doing that. And so you begin to focus down. And then in your senior years, you really, be, you really focus on the things that this is what God has given me to do. And you want to do that. So you talked about, you know, when you're 
narrowing down what are these things that bring me joy. I can just feel, I feel the sort of chariots of fire thing. Like when I run, I feel his Mm -hmm. pleasure, those sort of moments. So, but why do we sometimes think, or I've heard this sometimes, that the thing we're called to do is probably the hard thing or the thing we don't want to do? Because that almost seems like it rubs up against this idea of finding joy in life in your calling. Yeah. Well, part of that, I think, is bad theology. (laughs) And... uh, the idea that obeying God is the you know is is going to be the thing that will make us most unhappy or cause the most sacrifice. However, in this fallen world, all of our callings have a cross to bear in them. It is the way that God does His work in the world. We follow the way of Jesus, and that's the way of the cross. So every calling is takes place, functions in this broken world, and therefore there's a fight to it. And there's a cross. There's a price that we have to pay. And that's true of of every calling. And that's why even, or maybe especially when things are a calling, it doesn't mean that they come easily. We have to fight for them. So does that answer your question? I kind of forgot what the question was there. Yeah, well... No, I think what you're saying is that uh, it's not black and white and all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, sometimes we might feel like, well, if I'm in God's will and I'm living out my calling, bad things won't happen to me. Yeah. And and so then we th- maybe we think that we're living out our calling and suffering does happen or mm-hmm. things don't go right immediately or all the time. And we can think, uh-oh, is this not my calling? Did I hear yeah. God wrong? Because all of a sudden this is painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's important to, uh, to practice discernment, to pay attention to what is going on inside you and to discern what that's about. That's important in in seeing and discerning what your vocation is and then how it, God is leading you, paying attention to what's going on in your heart. So, for example, sometimes there's this, um, what some people call holy restlessness that happens. There's a restlessness, you're not sure that you're in the right place, um, you, you're not getting the same sense of fulfillment. You're not, there's not a joy in what you're doing. There's not much desire. You're going through the motions. What is that about? Well, you need to ask that question. It's not immediately apparent what that's about. You need to ask that question. Is this a time for perseverance, for continuing on in this path? Or is this unsettledness an indication that God is inviting me to something new. That's when paying attention to your heart is very important, movements of your heart, your desire, your joy, your sorrows, how you're responding to what the Holy Spirit is saying, and also to have people around you that can reflect these things back to you. It's really hard in those moments of transition to figure it out on your own. You always need community. And I think that's true too, with as we discern 
what our specific calling is as we move throughout life. We need community around us. Um, we need to pay attention to uh, what we what we're good at, but also what we love and what makes our heart leap. And when we feel a sense of awe that God is doing something and we get to be part of it. There's, um, I, someone asked me one time, what, how do you know what your vocation is? And I, without even thinking about it, I immediately said, it's in your stories. It's in, as you look back in your life and you see the times that were the moments that were really important to you for some reason, you may not even know why, but they seemed really significant. They were moments of, of joy, of awe, or sometimes of sorrow and tragedy. And they're, those are the stories that inform what your vocation is. They're really important. Um, I was reading a book by Eugene Peterson. It's a memoir of his calling as a pastor. And in this book, every chapter is a story from his past. Things that are his family, the town he grew up in as a child, some of his early experiences. And at the end of each chapter, he clarifies how that story informed his understanding of his pastoral vocation. So I I think that looking at your stories, seeing what surfaces in them are the really clear ways that that God surfaces what our what our our vocation is. When have you felt that sense of awe? I um, was talking to a friend recently who, out of her own, some really difficult times, really difficult ministry challenges, uh, life challenges, she had helped to write a, a lament for an entire country staff to use. And she had written this lament that grew out of her own experience, and then she shared it with, the, with everyone else. And she said, as I stood there in that room and watched how the Holy Spirit used that in the lives of these other people, I felt such a sense of awe. Like, this, I was part of this, but it's bigger than me. And I think that's something that's really characteristic when we are stepping into something that's really our calling. You're part of it, you're engaged in it, but it's something that God is doing. It's so much bigger. And you step into it and you feel, you don't feel like, wow, look what I did. You step into it and you feel like, wow, look what God's doing. And I got to be in it. Those moments are really clues, I think, Mm -hmm. to our calling. Well, and what, we don't always get to see God redeem the hard times that we walk through like that. I mean, what a beautiful thing to see God use her own lament from her life and use it for all these people. Yes. And often those difficult times, those, those struggles and dark times are very, very important aspects of our, of our calling. Um, I think I think my vocation, my calling, has to do with helping people see what God is doing even when it seems like he's not doing anything or it seems really dark. But the only reason that I can do that is because I have been there myself. 
And if it were not for those times in my life when I really was in the dark, I don't think I could accompany people through those times in the same way. So those times of suffering, God has redeemed them and made them useful. And they're a really important part of my calling. I think that's true as you look at pictures of calling in the New Testament. Um, You think of someone like Paul, and you look at the aspects of what went into his calling. You know, we always think of the Damascus Road. Um, And that was the moment that he met Jesus, and his calling was right there, inherent in his moment of, of conversion. And that's often the case. In our conversion moments, there are clues to our calling. But there are all sorts of other aspects to it. There were the, his background, his heritage, his previous experiences, and even the, the terrible things that he'd done in persecuting Christians were, were really an important part of the calling that God gave him. His preparation, his uh, 14 years of preparation in the desert. We forget about that part. But all of those things were essential parts of his calling. It wasn't just the Damascus Road. It was much bigger than that. And I think that's true for us, too. You know, we look back and we see all the, 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 the ways that God was guiding us, was opening doors for us, was leading us, was gifting us uh, for the things, the work that he's giving us to do. I'm so glad you brought up Paul because one of the calling stories I think we hear a lot from the Bible is the story of Moses. We've been studying him in our Bible study this Mm -hmm. year, and I think I find myself expecting a burning bush from God daily, you know, just what's my calling? What is it now? You know, and wanting like a big something like Damascus Road something really significant. But really, when we look at their lives, there weren't that many of those type moments, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. There was all of the other stuff. There was all those years of being in in Egypt and in the palace. There were all those years of being out in the desert and being a nobody shepherd. And those were all important parts of his calling. And that's really true for us. All those... uh, those moments, I think of, um, you know, as a young mom, when my husband was traveling 30% of the time, and I was on my own, you know, at home with three kids. And um, I, I had a Bible study in my living room every, every Wednesday morning for 10 years. And I carved out time to study the word in between, you know, all the stuff that you do when your kids are little. And that was, that was my theological education those years. It didn't seem like I, it was very important. I wasn't doing anything very important, right? But it was essential to what God was, was giving me to do. Those years were an important part of my preparation. So, Carolyn, something you've talked about is paying attention to our what we love and what brings us joy and how our heart is doing. What are some practices that you could recommend that will help us do that on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis even? Mm-hmm. One practice that I always recommend to people is, um, 
is the practice of examine, E-X-A-M-E-N, examine. In, in crew, we talk about, um, we talk about confession and the idea of examining our conscience. And examine is that, but it's something bigger than that. It's examining our consciousness. It's really looking not just where have I sinned, although that's an important piece of it, but it's also looking at what's been going on inside me these last 24 hours. Like where have been my joys? Where have been my sorrows? Where have been those moments where I felt like something's not right here. I just feel unsettled and I'm not sure what it is, you know? Um, those moments of that you're resistant against God. I am sitting here scrolling through the headlines instead of praying. Wonder why that is. <laughs> that was from this morning. I asked myself that question. <laughs> but see, it's a good question. You're asking yourself, what is it that's going on here? Paying attention to your heart. What's going on in your heart? And taking note. It's not a big, long time. It's It's more like the pre-flight checklist than it is like the 100,000-mile overhaul. You're just checking in and noticing. How is the Holy Spirit? Remember that the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. And so the Holy Spirit is always at work in us. What is he prompting? And we need to pay attention to that and take note of it. That, I think, is really important for vocational discernment, among many other things. Um, because we notice the things that made us sad in the day. Because often it's in those broken places that we, are, we find ourselves drawn to that God is calling us to. You know, what, what has given me joy? Where have I felt desire? Um, those are important questions. So I think the practice of examine. Um, I think the practice of uh, having a spiritual friend, a spiritual director or a company, someone who accompanies you, who can ask good questions. Um, you know, I, I have um, a group of friends who, when we moved back to the States from Europe, they flew me out to the East Coast and got together and they said, Carolyn, we're here to remind you of who you are. Because my entire life had changed, and I wasn't sure anymore. So in the 26 years since then, we have met every year for at least a weekend. And they continue to remind me who I am. And they have been a really important part of helping me clarify and pursue what I think my calling is. So spiritual friends... Um, a spiritual director, someone who listens to your life along with you. Very important piece. There's another, uh, there's another practice, another exercise that was really helpful to me. When I was a student at Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia, I had a class with Eugene Peterson, who was the translator of the message. And the class was Ministry and Spirituality. And the assignment, one of the assignments was we had to write a paper, and in that paper to answer these three questions. The first one was, what is it that God has called you to? What, is, what do you believe your, God has given you to do now? What is your calling now? The second question is, what are the threats and temptations that could sabotage that calling? 
what are the the threats from the outside, from culture, from uh, your church, from your family, from your organization that could threaten that calling? And what are the things from inside, from your idols, from your sin patterns that can sabotage that calling? And then the third question is, what are the habits and practices that you need in your life in order to live out your calling well? Now, when I wrote that paper, I was uh, had not long before moved back to the States. I had my three children, my partially disabled husband, and I thought, hmm, vocation, that sounds like a really big word for driving to soccer practice in my minivan. It's this great challenge for me and a really good practice because it helped me begin to see what is it that God has given me to do at this stage of my life. And that was a huge clue to what my specific vocation throughout my life. I still go back to that paper. It was both prophetic and formative, I think. And um, I encourage you, I encourage everyone to, to do that, to write, the, uh, write it down. And if you want to write it down and send it to me, I'll read it. And uh, the three questions, what is it that God's called me to? What are the threats and temptations that are part of that calling? And what do I need in my life in order to live out that calling well? So if you don't mind me asking, what decade of life were you in when you were writing that paper, you're at Regent, and that's how you were thinking about calling? I was in my mid-40s. Okay. So you so were my So to age. everyone out there who is worried that they haven't figured it out yet, I didn't even start thinking that way until that time. But as I thought about it, I had a lot of data to put in there. I had a lot of stories that I, I knew were part of the picture. Um, one of my earliest stories was when I first shared my faith. And it was, I was a brand new believer. Someone asked me, Let's, we're going to go witnessing. You want to come? And I was like, I don't know what witnessing is, but it sounds radical. And this was 1969, so radical was good. So I went, and the girl I was with started reading the four laws to someone. But before she did, she prayed that we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know what that was, but that sounds good. And so um, while she was reading the booklet to someone, I had my first experience of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I went and... Uh, I felt like someone said, go talk to that girl over on a bench over there. So I went over and I said to her, can I read you this booklet? That was my really slick opening. So she said, yes, I sat down, I read it to her. I had never read it myself. And at the end of the book, and I read the two questions of what circle would you like to have represent your life? And she said, thank you so much. I think this is what I've been looking for all my life. And I said, it is? Because I wasn't sure if it would what I've been looking for all my life. But that moment changed my life. And what it did was, it was an awakening. It was like, oh my gosh, God is here. God is real. And he's doing something. He's alive. And I want to live like this. I want to be part of that. 
And so even then, that sense of calling of seeing and helping other people see that God's at work, even when you, you it's dark, it started right back then. And it, it took form in those 10 years of Bible study and teaching a Bible study in my living room because I lived for the moment when those women would look up and it's like that, that moment of, I see, I see, I lived for that. Just when they, not just rehearsing like the answers to the questions, but that they would see in the scripture something that God was doing. And so all through my life, I looked back and I thought, that's that moment. I, that's what I want to be part of. I want people to see God's up to something and I could get in on it. So as I looked back in my mid-40s, I saw all of those pieces and it began to make sense. And then in the succeeding years, added to that my own, uh, my own journey through a very dark and difficult period. And, um, and then I felt like God brought me out of that. And then I was able to accompany other people who were in it. So unfolded for me, it unfolded. I like what Parker Palmer, who's a Quaker writer, he, he writes a lot. He wrote a book called Let Your Life Speak. And he said that his vocational journey was a series of probes into my gifts and the needs of the world, seeing where they might intersect. I love that. A series of probes into my gifts and the needs of the world, seeing where they might intersect. I like that. It's not, um, it's, it's something that emerges over time. It's not suddenly this great thing that you are given to do, at least most often. I don't think it is. Do you remember last week when we first tried to record this podcast and it didn't <laughs> record? <laughs> Yes, you mean that's very no, gracious was, of you to say. I didn't record. It was a technical because difficulty. Because I was being technologically challenged. <laughs> because I didn't explain how to use the recorder very well. Um, well, I've been thinking about calling ever since that first time we talked and my own thinking about my own calling and talking to my husband Darren about it. And I think I think listening is part of my calling. And um do you know my name means it's listener? It's the listener. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and I so I named my podcast listener. And um but the other day I had this experience where I was at Bible study and we broke out into pairs to pray. And so so we were praying in pairs. I was with a friend who I hadn't been able to pray with in a while. And she'd had something going on that she wanted to share. And she just shared and shared for a long time. She just had something on her heart. And everyone else went upstairs and Bible study was starting and we heard the music and we heard the, the speaker talk, but we just stayed there and I listened and she shared and we ended up praying and I ended up like crying for her while I was praying for her. After we talked, she just thanked me for listening and thanked me for crying for her. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, 
I loved doing it. It was not at all like, oh man, I got to sit here and listen to my friend and I got to get upstairs. And I just thought I genuinely wanted to hear what she had to say and was moved to tears. And, And I thought back to all the times that that's happened to me and people have said things like, I've never told anyone this or I, I haven't had anyone listen to me in a long time. And so I'm beginning to think that's part of my calling is that people would feel heard, you know, and that they're worthy of listening to, you know? So anyway, I wanted to share that I with you that. because... It's, it all stemmed from that first conversation we had last mm. week. Now we get to talk again. But here's what, here's what I need to know. So you mentioned that this is a journey and that we don't really know ourselves very well until we're maybe in our midlife and that's when our vocation can start to solidify as we've tried all these different things and... But for a lot of us, we work with younger people. We work with college students Mm -hmm. or high school students. We have kids of our own who are expected to go off and determine their career when they're 18 years old and going into college. Um, So how do you talk to young people about calling when they're still Mm -hmm. trying on all the hats and figuring out what they like and what they're good at, what they don't like? Yes, that's a really good question and very important one now, I think, because there's this idea out there that you need to know your passion, you know, follow your passion, and you need to know your calling when you're 21. And I'm sorry, but that is rarely the case, rarely the case. Um, You don't know yourself well enough at that point. Um, What that time needs to be devoted to is becoming the kind of person that can hear the voice of God and follow and do what God gives you to do. So uh, I often say that to our graduating seniors, the thing that's going to determine the kind of life that you have is not your circumstances or your job title or where you live. What is going to determine the kind of life that you have is the kind of person that you are. And so your calling is to become the kind of person that God can, God can bring into the good work that he's doing in the world, that you can participate in the life of God and in the work that he's doing in the world, all kinds of good work, the work of creation and redemption. And in those early years, especially in the years of the 20s, very formative, the decisions and the choices that you make in those years will shape your entire life. So choosing the habits that you will instill, I'm so grateful to my early years in crew because of the habits that it instilled of, of spending time with the Lord every day. I was taught right from the first month I came to faith. I was taught to read the Bible, to confess my sins, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to stay in fellowship, to share my faith. I was taught those basic things, and that shaped my life. Those are still the basic things that shaped my life. That didn't change. 
Um, and I was taught to have good work habits, work hard. I was taught to have, I had the right kind of people around me. It was the main reason I came on staff was because I wanted to be like the crew staff that I knew. And I knew that if I just went out and got a job, I just didn't think that I had, I didn't think I was at the point where I would be the kind of person I wanted to be. I wanted to be live wholeheartedly and passionately for Christ for my whole life. And I needed to be around other people who were doing that. So in the, your 20s, you have to find the kind of people that you want to be around. You have to find uh, wiser elders and mentors that can help shape you. You have to build these habits into your life. You have to learn to work hard. You have to build up uh, um, your response, sense of responsibility, your fi- even financial responsibility. If you, start, if you start living thriftily in your 20s, that likely will, help, will influence your entire life. The reason I can retire is because I think my husband started saving for retirement when he was 15 or something. <laughs> so just the kind of person he is. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> Thank you, Terry. He wanted to create an environment where he could thrive. And you see, he's still doing that. Oh, he yeah. started young. He's still doing it. <laughs> so I say um, learn at that point. Build the habits that will help you to be the kind of person you can be, you that you want to be, the kind of person that God can use. And um, and gather data, gather information about what you love. Try lots of things. Do lots of things. And then right around the age of 30, between the ages of 28 and 32, have a time of reevaluation. Now that I know some things about myself, what do I want to give myself to in this next stage? Don't miss that time of, of reevaluation. Uh, don't coast. You need to reconsider. A lot of people get a little, um, they, they get restless at that age, often when I'm talking to young men in particular, and uh, sometimes true of young, young women as well. There's a, a sense of restlessness about around that time move into that. Don't avoid it. Move towards that sense of restlessness. What is this about? What do I want the next stage of my life to be? What kind of person am I becoming? And do I like that? Those are really important questions to ask. There's something that I heard you share about before that I want to make sure I hear you talk about again. And it has to do with a trapeze artist. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that okay. word picture? Yes. That's from Henri Nouwen. And uh, we were talking about transitional moments. And there are transitional moments in our faith and in our calling. And a transitional moment requires us often to, to let go of some things. And it's scary. It's really scary. The, tra- the trapeze artist has to let go of their trapeze and they have to be caught by the catcher. They can't try and grab the catcher. It doesn't work like that. They have to they have to be ready to be caught by the catcher. And there's that can you imagine that moment when you've let go and you're trying to be caught? And that it, there's so many moments like that in our 
calling journey and in our faith journey, when we have to let go of some things that we thought we knew about God or about how it works. And those are scary moments. And they, they're very unsettling. And sometimes they will, they will um, in our fear, we won't let go. We'll hold on to, well, this is what I know, so I'm going to hold on to it. But we need to have the courage to let go of that in order to be caught by the next thing that God is doing. You know, we um, in crew, we are really good at helping people with the formative years of faith. That is our, that's what we're given to do, and that's what we need to do. Help people get established in those early stages of faith. Um, but sometimes for ourselves, God is inviting us to take leaps of faith, to trust him in new ways. And we don't often have a framework for, for that. And those can be those, those trapeze moments. I think if you pursue, if you follow Christ long enough, you, come, you always have those. There are moments when things don't seem to be like you thought they were supposed to be. In those moments, you need to press on, stay open to God, keep listening, and find companions who've been that down that road ahead of you, because there's always so much more that God has, so much more of himself that he has to give us, so much more about ourselves that we need to learn, so much more that he wants to entrust to us, and we need to have courage to receive it. And that's what those moments are like. Kind of scary. <laughs> well, Carolyn, I know that you are retired, but you've said you're mm-hmm. not stopping your vocation or your your ministry. So if we want to keep connecting with you, where, I where have and a how website, can we do that? Which seems really weird to me, but... I have a website. It's carolynculbertson.com, easy to find. And on that website, I have some resources uh, that people have asked me for, and now I have an easy place for them to get them. Um, There are things about spiritual practices that might be helpful. There are some short articles on things like stages of faith and stages of life, like what are the important tasks and challenges of early adulthood and middle adulthood. Uh, there's a very extensive book list because, as you know, Sam, like I'm always quoting from and recommending books. <laughs> and so my book list is on there. And you can contact me through there. I, Although I'm no longer um, uh, on staff with Crew, my calling hasn't changed. And... Uh, it is to help accompany people in their spiritual journey. Sometimes we just need a listener. <laughs> we need someone who can listen with us for what God is doing in our lives, because he's always doing something, who can listen with us and help us know how to navigate different seasons in our life, to navigate transition moments, those trapeze moments, who, to know how to take steps to respond to what God is doing in our lives. So if you, um, if you need, are listening and need some, a listener to accompany you during those times, you can contact me through my website. Mm-hmm.